You're listening to a sermon from the preaching and teaching ministry of First Presbyterian Church, Covington, Tennessee. Our mission is to proclaim Christ's kingdom through word and deed. You can learn more about us at 1pc-covington.org or join us for worship at 403 South Main Street, Covington, Tennessee. Our scripture for today is Hebrews 10, 32-39. But recall the former days, when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession in an abiding one and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which is a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you guys for having me this morning. So I do want to say one quick thing. Where I'm from, we like to talk when the sermon's going forth. So if you hear something good, feel free to nod your head, feel free to say amen, but you can talk to me this morning, all right? Is that good? You, you all feel free to talk to me. All right, let me know I'm saying something real good. All right. So our text is Hebrews 10, 32 through 39. Um, so disclaimer, Hebrews is a special book to me for a number of reasons. But the main reason is because when the Lord saved me and when he was bringing me to a mature understanding of himself, Hebrews was that book. Hebrews was the book that helped me to understand God's story throughout history, God's story for his people, God's story throughout the Bible. So it has a special place in my heart. So when I was given the invitation to share this morning, I was like, just do old-fashioned Hebrews, the book that just stirred the Lord in my heart all these years ago. It's been going on almost 15 years, and the book still gets me every time. So I pray the word this morning encourages you. I'm going to start with a story or illustration. So more than 10 years ago, this movie called Facing the Giants came out, and it was uh, a Christian film. It was about a coach, Coach Taylor, who was having issues in every area of his life. His team was winning. Uh, His marriage was uh, having issues because they couldn't have kids, and Coach Taylor was just in a storm. But the movie gets to a breaking point. Things start to turn around, and one of, the, one of the most powerful parts of the movie is this. He's at practice, and one of his players, his name is Brock, and Brock is one, of the team, is one of the team leaders, but he is having a defeatist attitude for the next game. 
So his teammates see this and they see Brock's attitude and coach says, you know what, Brock, come here. So he puts Brock on the goal line and says, I want you to death crawl blindfolded. In fact, not only do it blindfolded, but I want you to put a player on your back and do it. And Brock is like, okay, 20 yards with that, right? Coach says, I think you can go longer than that. So Brock says, all right, I'll do it, whatever. Puts the blindfold on, and he begins to death crawl. For those that don't know football, the, the death crawl is this. You get on all fours in the lineman position, and you have to crawl slowly going forward, staying low on all fours. So Brock is doing it. You know, he goes a little while, and he starts getting tired. But Coach Taylor is in his ear saying, Brock, don't quit. Don't you dare quit on me. Keep going, Brock. So Brock keeps going. Brock starts getting tired. Coach says, Brock, don't you quit on me. Don't you dare quit on me. Give me more. Give me more. So Brock keeps pushing. And next thing you know, his teammates stand up and they see Brock going the length of the football field. By the time it's over, Brock has gone the entire 100 yards of the field with the man on his back. He thought he couldn't do 20 yards. He did 100. And he did it with the encouragement of his coach in his ear. He had nothing but the, but the voice of his coach pushing him to do what he thought he couldn't do. So long story short, the season turns around and Coach Taylor and the Giants win the state title. I say that because our text this morning is similar. We're in first century Palestine and the Christians are struggling. The Jewish Christians are struggling. They are tempted to give up on the faith they once received in joy. Life has gotten hard. In fact, I would say that they're in the death crawl of life. It's toilsome, it's agonizing, but God is encouraging them through the writer of Hebrews to keep, bush, to keep pushing despite the temptation to give in. But not only is God saying that to them, but he's also saying the same thing to us. Just as Brock was guided by the voice of his coach, us as believers, we are guided by the Spirit of God that speaks to us, that, encouraging, that encourages us day after day, sometimes minute after minute, to give up, to not give up. Because there's a promise for us if we don't give up. For those that endure to the end, <clears throat> just as Brock's team won the state championship, so the saints will win at the end. In fact, not only will we win at the end, but also in this life we'll get some things as well, things like maturity, things like growth, things like a deeper relationship with Christ. We will get all those things if we hold fast to the Savior that has saved us and called us. So on that note, I want to speak on the topic, keep going, don't quit. I want to say one more prayer for us before I dive in. 
Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time. God, in this moment, let the word encourage your saints. Help us, God, to persevere by your spirit. Lord, speak through me. God, help my words to be clear. Help my words to be accurate. And calm, and calm my heart. Calm our hearts. In Christ's name, amen. So let me give us some background for our text. So Hebrews is written to a group of Jewish believers. I told you about their situation, but there's, but there's a nuance there, and this is why I say that. They find themselves uh, not really knowing where to go, right? They're Jewish believers, and so what's happened is the Jews have kicked them out the synagogues, kicked them out the temple, and so now they are ostracized from that community. The Jews see them as blasphemers. They see them as uh, this group of people that is ruining the Jewish name, and they, have, they want nothing to do with them, right? On the other side, you have the Romans that see these Christians as a sect of the Jewish faith. Not only that, but also they're saying, hold up, hold up. They're worshiping a guy that was crucified as an enemy of the state. And not only that, but we are called to honor Caesar and they're not honoring Caesar, they are honoring a criminal, so we don't want you either, right? So the Jewish Christians find themselves in a situation where they are on. They have left, so they think their, their heritage for what they believe to be true, for what we know is true, but because of what they are going through, it's like, man, you know what? Maybe we should go back to what we were doing. Maybe we should go back. And so the writer of Hebrews, many scholars debate who it is. Some say it's Paul, some say it's Barnabas, some say it's Apollos. But the truth is, uh, there, there are numerous uh, opinions on this. So, but what, what we do know is, is that the writer knew God's word, he knew God's history, he, he knew God's people. And so what a perfect person by God's grace to write to the believers to encourage them to not give up, to keep going. You did not make a mistake. This is not an accident. Keep going. So a brief breakdown of the book to give, to, to give us some context. The first two chapters, the writer is saying this. He's saying, okay, Jesus is greater not only to your past, but this is how. He's, he's greater than the angels. Because in the law of Moses, the mediators were angels. They were the ones that gave the law. They were the ones that put it into effect. So the angels were the ones between God and man giving out the covenant. He said Christ is greater because Christ is God's son. But also in times of old, God spoke through his people through visions, through dreams, through prophets, right? Sometimes through animals, through the donkey, right? In the Old Testament, that story, right? So he's saying God spoke to us in various ways. But his son is the final way that he will speak to, his, to us because his son is God's final and full and true revelation. He is greater. The next two chapters, he says, this is greater than Moses because even though Moses was God's prophet, again, Christ is God's son. Moses led God's people out of Egypt, out of Pharaoh, into the promised land. Christ saved us from Satan. He took us out of sin, and he has 
taking us to a greater promised land, to a place of rest in him for all eternity. Christ is greater than Moses. Then he says how Christ is greater than, than, the, than the old covenant priesthood because in their priesthood it was Aaron and the Levites that were before the altar of God making sacrifices and representing uh, God before the people. But Jesus comes from a greater priesthood, the one of Melchizedek, the one of Abraham's time, where Melchizedek was high priest of God and Jerusalem. And he's saying that Christ is greater than Aaron's priesthood because he comes from something greater in the order of Melchizedek, priest and king of God. He is greater. And then lastly, chapters 8 through 10, getting into our text, he says that Christ is greater than all the old covenant sacrifices because those sacrifices had to be made over and over and over. But Christ's sacrifice is once for all time. It is a greater sacrifice, God's ultimate propitiation, and it does not have to be made over and over. Saints, it is good once and for all, for all of us. Amen? For God's people, it is once, one time was sufficient, no more. Christ is greater than anything and everything you have left behind. And he wants the writers to, and he wants the people to know that this morning. So as a result, this text is an encouragement, but also a warning. And the warning is against the sin, sin of apostasy. Apostasy is simply this, the willingness, the willingness to, to leave something or walk away from something. So just as it's an encouragement for us that believe, for those that say, you know what? I don't want this. I'm out. It is a warning of judgment. And so he's saying, because Christ is greater, because he is greater, look at the Old Testament. Look at what happened when God's people walked away in disobedience. How much more the Son of God, God's final revelation, God's ultimate sacrifice, everything in heaven, everything in the Bible points to Christ. How much more is that judgment if you turn and walk away from it? It is a warning. It is a sober warning to all of us. So with all that said, I do want to say this. Some of, you, some of you guys left a lot of things to follow Christ. Some of you guys left lifestyles, relationships, uh, old, an in, in, in old way of life. And life has probably gotten hard for you. Life has probably gotten difficult, and you're probably saying to yourself, man, was it even worth it? Let me tell you, it was worth it. God did not save you by accident. His effectual call on your life was sure. He has sealed you. He has showered you with his grace. He has empowered you. There is a reward for you if you don't give up. So let me tell you, you did not make a mistake. God loves you. He sees where you are. and He's with you. So let's look at our text. Let's look at the first couple of verses, 32 to 34. The writer says this, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in person and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property 
since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. The first point. Remember the Lord's faithfulness from previous trials. The word he uses to recall is the Greek word that says this. Think back carefully. He's saying think back carefully when you were enlightened. He wants them to remember how in the past, because of their fresh realization and the joy they had in learning who Christ was, think back and remember what you used to endure for the sake of Christ. They gladly received hard times on the account of him. Look at what they went through. They were publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. Some translations say insults and persecutions. The Greek word for that is for publicly exposed equates to a theater. So it's almost like they were publicly put in public like a theater, like a movie for everyone to see what they were going through. In fact, we have Facebook Live now, so I used to work in the schools. So a lot of times what would happen, if there was a fight or someone was getting checked, students would take out their phone and record the actual altercation and post it on Facebook, right? So imagine something like that. Imagine you're going through something and your life is, is on display for people to see. Imagine having your life on reality television. This is what's going on. They are publicly going through. But the text says, recall, because at one point, you gladly accepted this. Because they knew without a shadow of a doubt that it was worth it. I don't mind being put on blast for everyone to see because I know who I have believed in. But they didn't remain because of their own willpower, but it was because of the light of Christ in them. They were enlightened by who Christ was. The text says that they also had compassion with those that were in prison. So not only were they going through, but they had compassion for those that were also going through, right? It says they had property plundered. It was seized. They had their stuff taken. The best example I can think of is imagine if the repo man came up to your, to your house and took your cars, all your cars, took your furniture, took all your household appliances, took all of this, and everybody and all your neighbors saw it. You would feel shame. You would feel embarrassment. You would probably, it'd probably be the worst day of your life. In fact, it's traumatizing, to be honest with you. It's a traumatizing thing to see all your stuff just taken from you. You can't do anything about it. But they welcomed this. They welcomed this. They rejoiced because they knew they had a better possession, an abiding one coming. They said, you can take this, but I have something greater in heaven that is waiting for me with my Savior. He says, remember, you used to think like this. Remember, you used to endure this. He's saying, think back carefully. Remember on what you're willing to go through. Remember. So I'm going through church history right now, and 
I'm, I'm, I'm in early church history after the apostles, and there's a story called the 40 soldiers or 40 martyrs of Sebaste. It's about 40 soldiers of Rome that became Christians. So after Constantine uh, uh, issues the Edict of Milan that officially ends persecution in Rome, uh, he had another emperor that he was with called Licinius that turned back on the deal. One of the first things Licinius did was this. He said, all Roman soldiers immediately offer sacrifice and praise to Roman gods. All the soldiers did it except 40. 40 soldiers said no. So the Roman government goes through a series of, of increasingly uh, torturous things to get them to recant. First they tried to bribe them, then they tried to threaten them with shame, then they you know, physically tortured them to get them to recant, but the 40 soldiers would not. The final straw came when winter came. Uh, he forced them to take off their clothes and lie on the ice naked. But in defiance, they ran into a nearby lake and said, we can do worse than that. We are going to sit in this lake and we are not going to bow down. We are going to hold fast for Jesus and we are not stopping. But something happens. So they decide to tempt the soldiers. They, I don't know how they did this. I have no idea how this happened, but I read it, so it happened, right? So uh, they must have created like a warm bath in this, in this area, and they tempted the soldiers to come out. One soldier gave in. One soldier gave in. Uh, renounced his faith and ran to the water, to the warm water. But because of the shock of freezing temperatures to warm water, he died shortly after entering the water, this warm water. He lost his faith and his life. This is what they would say about him. But something happened. One of the soldiers that, that witnessed all this was convicted by the other 39 soldiers. And he ran into the water with them. So they lost one, but gained another. They would die soon after. And their story became legend throughout the early church in Rome. And, and they've been named the 40, the 40 martyrs of Sebaste. They were able and willing to withstand because of what they knew about Jesus. This, means, this leads us to our next set of verses, 35 through 38. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you, will, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while and coming, for yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. This is my second point. Living by faith 
means trusting in God's promises during hard times. Living by faith means trusting in God's promises during hard times. In this set of verses right here, uh, the writer is actually quoting Habakkuk 3.4. The book of Habakkuk is one of the minor prophets, and Habakkuk is struggling because he sees the sins of his people and he sees God not stepping in. He says, God, why are you letting this happen? So God steps in and says, hey, Habakkuk, I hear you. So guess what? I'm going to judge them. I got you, but I'm going to judge them. I send them Babylon in to bring them into exile. Habakkuk's like, hold up. Hold up. So you're going to judge them. Thank you. They need that. But you're going to send pagan, unbelieving, unclean, dog, Gentiles to do it. More shame. Habakkuk's like, no, God, I ain't feeling that either. What are you doing? I ain't feeling that, right? God is like, trust me. Trust me. I know what I'm doing. I will not delay. I will come. Live by faith. So when we say the, so when we say the righteous shall live by faith, in Habakkuk and this text, it is during a hard time. And God is saying that my children will live by faith despite the hard times. So the writer puts, he's almost preaching a sermon to the people through the Old Testament, saying that the righteous shall live by faith. I am coming. I will not delay. I see what you're going through. I see the hard times. I know it's hard, but trust me, I will not delay. And church, God's saying the same thing to us today. He sees us. He knows us. He knows what we're going through. I am coming. I will not delay. Live by faith. Also in, the, in this text, he says that when you have done the will of God, when you have done the will of God. The Greek word here is thelema. In this context, it means the eternal purposes of God. Saints, it is the Lord's will that his children persevere to the end. It is his will. He is with us. He will call us to this. He will strengthen us to do so. It is his perfect will that his children endure to the end. Thelema the Lord's eternal purposes. That is what he desires from us. This is what he desires from us. Last set of verses, verse 39, says this, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. It's my last point. The sin of apostasy brings judgment. In our story about the 40 soldiers, I told you about the one that went back into the, that renounced and went back and wound up dying. This is what the story records about him. Satan had deceived this unfortunate soul and stole away both 
the victory and his life. This soldier failed to endure and he gave into temptation by what he saw and not what he believed. He let what he saw with his natural eyes and the temptation of it take away his eternal inheritance. Because I don't think he really believed. It was, it, it was cool for a little while, you know. Hey, I got some points in, right? I, I stood all this. But when it really came down for it, he couldn't let go of what he saw. It wasn't strong enough. As a result, he had no victory and his soul was lost. Sometimes when we're going through things, it's so easy to go by what we see with our natural eyes and not what God is calling us to believe. These verses I'm giving you are sandwiched in between the historical context of how Christ is greater, but also immediately after these verses, we go into the hall of faith where the writer says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So we have to go beyond what we see into what we believe. Recently, there was a, uh, a Netflix series called Daredevil. I'm a big Marvel guy, so y'all bear with me. I'm about to give a Marvel reference, right? But Daredevil can't see. He was in an accident as a kid, and he cannot see. But he has heightened senses. He has what's called echolocation, or, or like a radar sense. So the more he hears, the better he can see. In fact, everything he does is predicated on his senses touching, smelling, but also hearing. The louder a sound is, the more vividly he can see. George, what's the point? We all know what the point is. Daredevil, in order for him to fight and win, he has to go by what he hears so he can see. In this life, we will have battles. We will have spiritual battles for the rest of our lives. And we cannot go by all the time what we see. We have to go by what we hear. The same way in our opening illustration, Brock blindfolded was able to death crawl 100 yards across the football field, not even realizing he could do it. He did it because the voice of his coach was pushing him to don't quit, don't quit, don't quit, don't quit. In the same way it is with Brock, the same way it is with Daredevil, is the same way it is with us, church. God wants us to go by what we hear, and we hear God through reading his word. He speaks to us through his word. And it's because of his word that we're able to endure. His word that speaks to our hearts to keep going, not to quit. As I conclude, I gave us three key points. 
now I want to give us some short application points. How can we tangibly do this? Here we go. <clears throat> Number one, we are stronger when we endure together. Remember, our letter is being written to a group of believers who are doing life together, and they've been ostracized. And it's just like, all we have is one another. All we have is the church. God has made us a family. He has made us a body. And when we endure together, we're able to encourage one another. So Brother Max said, I played basketball with baseball. I was a baseball player in college. And so, funny thing is this, during the fall season, when once it starts getting cold, we have conditioning season because we can't play outside, it's too chilly. So the entire winter and fall is, is conditioning season. And it was rigorous. It was almost torture, <laughs> right? So we would, in fact, I remember those 5 a.m. workouts three times a week. Now, I remember in, in 40 degree weather, maybe lower, on the football field sprinting at least eight times down and back with my team. It was rigorous. After weight training, right? But one of the things I remember is as a team, if we got tired, we said, come on, G, come on, or come on, Corey, come on, Corey. Or, come on, Travis, come on, Travis, come on, we got you, let's go, don't quit, come on, Josh, come on, right? We were together because we knew that we had a goal in mind, and if one of us is down, it affects all of us. We have to keep pushing. We are a team as God's family. My second application point, allow God to bring closure to your past. Sometimes it's hard for us to let certain things go. Some things we liked. Some things in our, in, in our old life we, you know, we cling to. But sometimes also, man, mistakes, guilt, it can keep us from going forward. The entire book of Hebrews, as I mentioned, is about Jesus is greater than anything behind you. Let that sink into your hearts this morning. He is greater than anything behind you. Jesus was talking to the disciples in Matthew 19. And he's talking, and they've seen him talk to the rich man. And so they see him literally look at Jesus. Oh, give everything away. I'm good. Bing. Right. They see him do that. And they see this. And Peter makes a statement. He says, man, we left everything to follow you. We left everything to follow you. What will there be for us? Jesus makes this statement. He says this. Everyone who has left houses or friends or family for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. That's in Matthew's version. Mark's version says something different. Mark says, 
Jesus says this, you will receive in this life and the one to come. Whatever you have given up in your life for Jesus, and I hope it was everything, whatever you've given up for him, Christ makes it worth it. In this life and the one to come. Jesus makes it worth it. Last point. Remind yourself that this world is not your home. One of the downfalls of a postmodern society is uh, materialism. Pretty much what that means, it doesn't mean, hey, you like fancy clothes and technology and the finer stuff in life. It can mean that, but really materialism means that everything is senses-based. Everything is based on what you see. It's based on your natural senses, right? So as a result, even as Christians, we can fall into a materialist society. We can. We can fall into it. And the problem is when you do that, you wind up taking your eyes off your Savior and the things of this world. I think Peter says it best in 1 Peter 1, before he starts his epistle, he says this, God's elect, strangers in the world. God's elect, strangers in the world. The best way to to refute and to live with an eternal perspective is to have in your hearts daily by the Spirit of God that this world is not my home. There was something greater I'm living for. You know, in my church growing up, we had a statement that to this day I still live by. And it says, I'm living just to live again. I'm living just to live again. And I'm living because I know that there is something greater. Not only can I experience Christ now, and I have, and I will, and I will continue to, but there is something more glorious coming when he comes back. And that's the life I'm living for. That's the life I'm believing for. That's the life I'm praising God. And I know that he will not delay with. He is coming without delay. And I believe God purposely lets his children not get too comfortable on, in, in, on this earth is because he wants us to always have that perspective in mind that greater is coming, greater is coming. And he does that because he loves us. So as I take my seat, church, I want you to know that what I've said this morning I want us to believe that with all our hearts. No matter what season of life you're in right now, some of you guys may have came out of a hard season. You guys may be on the cusp of a hard season and you don't know it yet. Some of you may be in a hard season. Know that Jesus is there with you. Know that he is in it with you, and it's a season for it. Wait for him. Trust him. He will come without delay. And he wants you to walk by faith in him through this. He's got you. 
You may suffer for a little while, but he's with you and he will come without delay. Be encouraged this morning. Be encouraged. And may God be with you. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for your people. God, we love you. God, let your word reign in our hearts this morning. God, your word says that whenever it's preached, that a seed is planted. Lord, by your grace, protect the seed. Let it not be snatched out by the enemy. But God, let it take root to produce a harvest in the lives of your people. God, we love and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. And you've been listening to a sermon from the preaching and teaching ministry of First Presbyterian Church, Covington, Tennessee. Our mission is to proclaim Christ's kingdom through word and deed. You can learn more about us and listen to other sermons at onepc-covington.org or join us for worship at 403 South Main Street, Covington, Tennessee.